Hello, everybody, and welcome to Minute 73 of Season 5 of Move Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee-ki-yay our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again on this lovely Wednesday towards the end of August is Todd Levenow of the Forgotten Filmcast. Welcome back, Todd. Lovely Wednesday. It's snowing pretty hard out there. Haven't you noticed? It's been that way the whole movie. It's fake snow. Come on, they don't. You didn't. You didn't know that. <laughs> first of all, there's. They they had such bad luck in this movie with uh, snow. They they didn't get any real snow. This there's not. From what I understand, from from what I've read, and from what Randy Harlan says on the commentary, there isn't a snow a real snowflake in the entire movie. It's all fake. I believe it. It's all. It's all that big chunky snow that looks like they spray painted cornflakes, you know. That's so. right. That's right. And especially since you know, uh, who would expect to have uh, snow in Denver? Come on. <laughs> well, here's the thing: people always think of Denver as being a very snowy place. We certainly get snow in Denver, but it's also it's semi-arid, and so the ground stays pretty warm most of the time. So snow melts pretty quickly in Denver. Um, so like I grew up in Chicago, you grew up in the, what, the Detroit area, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. You know, in the wintertime there, if it snows, it stays on the ground it, for, for a long time. They push it aside and it stays there. In Denver, if it snows, it doesn't tend to stay on the ground for real long. It tends to melt pretty quickly. Now, that wasn't the case this winter. <laughs> this winter, we had a lot of snow, and it it stayed there. Um, and, of course, up in the mountains, you know, the snow stays. I mean, this morning, I was out driving, and Mount Evans out there is uh, still covered in snow. Uh, so, it's so yeah, uh, but, you know, down here in... Denver, um, you know, it. you don't tend to get just that blanket of white snow that, that stays around for week after week after week. It usually melts fairly quickly. And does it, does it freeze then? It does. Um, meaning, meaning do you have to worry about it being icier because of that? We, we have moments. I mean, ultimately it depends on what the temperature is and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, to to kind of give you an idea, there's sometimes where I can remember when I first moved here that it would be snowing, but the ground was so warm that you could just see the steam rise off the 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 uh, the streets because the snow was melting right away as it hit it, type of a thing. Um, it was called like like in New York in in movies in New York. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like I said, this this winter was not like that at all. We we had. We had a stretch where we just were covered with snow for a long period of time. It was very unusual. And now this, as we've moved into the warmer months, we've had tons of rain uh, that has been hitting us since April. Um, I mentioned to you as we were getting ready to record, we were dealing with tornadoes just a few days ago. So um, it's been a wild weather year here in Colorado. Why not? All right. So episode 73 begins with Stuart reassessing the situation and ends with Esperanzo thanking his friend. So yesterday we, we ended things with uh, Esperanzo uh, giving a report that, that he needs help. He can't land this plane on its own. And, you know, Stuart is a little taken aback by that, needs to rethink everything. And 
this this minute begins with him pausing for a second and then says, "Stand by, Falcon." And then you know he he walks around towards the computers, is looking around and stuff like that. And then uh, one of his men, uh, it, it's it's Burke. Did you recognize who plays this uh, this this character? Uh, well, I I got to admit I don't keep track of their names very well. Um, I mean I recognize a few of the the guys. In this, is this John Leguizamo's? That is John Leguizamo, or whatever yeah. it's pronounced. Yes. Yes. No, this I, is only the second time that we've we've seen him in the second piece of dialogue. I remember at some point in the movie when I was watching it with my son, uh, because the, the I mean Leguizamo doesn't get really any big moments if I remember. He's just pretty much fleeting glimpses no. of him. But I was I said to my son, "Oh, hey, you know who that guy is?" He's like, "Oh yeah." I was like, "That's Luigi from Super Mario Brothers," and he's like, "Oh." And so he, he, he like runs over to, to Stuart and says, uh, here, sir, he's coming in from the ocean, sir. Which, duh, don't we know that he's coming in from the ocean? <laughs> the thing about this whole control center that they set up, it always, maybe it's because everything is snowy in this movie. But when I see all the, the you know, the, the screens and the lights that are beeping and, and blinking and all that stuff, it makes me think of Echo Base from The Empire Strikes Back on Hoth. Of course. <laughs> of course. They're, 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 can't you tell that they're on Hoth? Yeah, they might as well be. Where's, where's, where's General Raikin? Yeah. There you go. And, uh, you know, we just want a Wampa to come in. Yep. You know, that would be, that would be a lot There's of There's Imperial probe droids <laughs> out there. The works. That's why we need That's to right. yeah, stop and playing on a tauntaun. Come on, let's have that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. That definitely would be fun to see. Wait, on the inside or the outside? Well, yeah, because yeah, I I always thought these things smelled bad on the outside. They smell worse on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, now, and then uh, before we move on from the interior of the. Yeah, sure. of the church here but yes because i don't know but i know the exterior of the church is one of the colorado locations i've always assumed the interior is you know like a, a studio or something somewhere um that it's not the actual church i'm assuming my understanding is is it's, it's internal it's it's a sorry the, the internal my assumption is is that the it's a soundstage yes yeah because the exterior of the church, yeah. if I if if my thinking is correct here, is a, an actual church that's in Mead, Colorado, which is a tiny place uh, on off of I I twenty five north of Denver. It's kind of between Denver and Loveland, um, but yeah, real. Do small they town. drink mead there? Uh, they they may. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Do they serve mead? <laughs> In in the daycare center, it's always possible, right? Yeah. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? <laughs> the things we wonder. <laughs> and so, basically, at, at this point, you know, like, uh, so Burke walks over to him and, and gives him that information, and Stuart is is looking at the at 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 the the Hoth screen, and and then Burke like points to a spot on the Hoth screen. You know, he has like the map opened up in front of him and still points to, to one of the, you know, one of the, the marks that, okay, this is where he's coming from. Mm -hmm. You, again, you'd think that Stuart would know this already because 
this, you know, we've, we've established at least, we assume that Stuart and his team, their expertise is taking over uh, small, small, uh, you know, airports. And that's why they have this, these expertise in doing this type of stuff. If not taking because over small airports, taking over uh, abandoned churches, for sure. That's true. That's true. It's it, they're clubhouses. Yeah. You know, they're <laughs> clubhouses and eagle nests at the same time. Yeah. It's it's a club nest or an eagle house or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> and you know, we we see that that uh, you know at this point. Esperanza, then we, we hear his voice and he says, a bullet has damaged my instruments. I'm not sure of my bearings and I must make a visual landing immediately. Do you copy Eagle Nest? Now, he says a bullet my has, first question has is, damaged my instruments. Like it's just some random thing. It's like, dude, whose fault forget is a, that? <laughs> forget about that. He shot the co-pilot yeah. and, you know, like, and then when he shot the, the pilot, you know, I, I, I think he would be smart enough to to not aim towards the control panel, but apparently he did, you know. So Esperanza is not that bright. <laughs> no, that's, no, we've that's, already that's established he was aiming at the seatbelt and it ricocheted off the seatbelt. <laughs> no, but that was the co-pilot. Now we're talking about the pilot now, so. Yes. Ah, so you're saying the magic bullet that hit the co-pilot hit, went through the co-pilot into the seatbelt and then bounced backwards and then went into the instrument panel in front of the pilot. And the instrument panel went back and to the left, back and to the left. And it went right through Newman. Yes. This is, this is the, <laughs> Newman's arm. this is the diehard two magic bullet theory. <laughs> Oliver Stone's making a movie on this real soon. We promise. <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> <But yeah. laughs> and then, uh, Stuart, you know, we, we hear that he's trying to be cautious with his decision, but he still says, Roger Falcon. And then, you know, we're, we see John running through a, a very long corridor with lots of steam. You know, Rennie Harlan talks about the fact that, that they just rented out some like warehouse to, to, to do like some sort of, of, of uh, industrial place that wasn't being used and made it look like it's, uh, you know, made it look like it's, it's something below the runways. I, I wonder if they like, really have. Yeah. I wonder if they really have corridors like this below the runways. Well, see, here's the thing. I don't know about the runways, but again, going back to my own experiences here at our airport in Denver, um, I know there is at least some sort of passages that go uh, under the ground from the main terminal to the different concourses because um, there's actually no walkways between... Um, there's a walkway between the main terminal and concourse A. There's a bridge. But the only way to get from concourse A to B or to C is an underground train. You can't mm. walk there. And so I'm assuming that, you know, in addition to the train corridor down there, that there must also be some sort of service walkways that go underneath there. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, I, when that thing opened, everybody was like, well, what happens if the train gets stuck? What happens if it stops? How do you get going? And it's like, it's only happened once or twice. My wife was there one time when it happened. Uh, but uh, but yeah. 
So uh, there are oh, at wow. least some underground things. They uh, they don't go under the runways per se, but they do go under the uh, the gates and and where the planes pull up for boarding and deboarding and such. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. And and then uh, you know we we see John running down as he's uh, you know trying to 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 get his bearings, and then Esperanza says. <laughs> <laughs> that would be two five right. Repeat two five right. And then John looks at his at at, at his walkie talkie and goes, "What?" And he goes, "Make up your mind." <laughs> <laughs> In my notes, I refer to this as the Hello Cleveland scene, which of course I I am referencing. This is Spinal Tap here because John McClane is lost trying to find where he's gonna come out where the runway that he's looking for is like how spinal tap gets lost backstage trying to find uh, the stage door when they're playing cleveland <laughs> and 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 harry shearer's character is shouting hello cleveland hello cleveland and they, they turn the corner and find the same janitor that they already passed twice <laughs> <laughs> i really get to see that again <laughs> and... i love that movie and then... I, I, I got to tell you what I did with this is Spinal Tap. I've said many times how, you know, with this movie, with Die Hard 2, rewatching it to get ready for the podcast, I exposed my son to this for the first time. OK, I love being able to expose my kids to different movies that I love. So the first time that I had them watch This is Spinal Tap, sat down my son and my daughter. I said, all right, we're going to watch a movie tonight. This is kind of different, guys, okay? Usually we're watching some sci-fi or adventure or whatever. We're going to watch a documentary tonight. This is a documentary about a heavy metal band. All right, All right Dad. I, I did not tell them that it was fake. I didn't tell them it was a comedy. I went into it making them think that this was a legit documentary about a legit rock band. <laughs> and when it was done, I told them it was all fake. And they were so mad at me. <laughs> They're like, oh, it's another one of your your crazy '80s, you know, real rock bands, you know, type stuff. <laughs> I wanted to do the same thing with what we do in the shadows, but I didn't think I could get away with it twice. Probably not. <laughs> so basically, you know, John then stops, and you see him like look at his map, trying to figure out where he's supposed to go. He he looks like a lost kid. You know? Yeah. This and, is. This is one of those scenes that makes John McClane so relatable. We talked about That's this right. when we talked about the first Die Hard, how mm -hmm. he's, you know, this regular guy. He's not this super cop type of a thing. And this is one of those moments because he's struggling to read the maps. He's getting lost and all that stuff. And it's one of those scenes that just makes you go, yep, this John McClane's a real guy, you know? That's right. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, oh, we're just up to our ass in Terrace again, John. <laughs> This is a line that was in the trailer, yes. uh, though edited, because, you know, you can't swear in the trailer or the TV spot or whatever. So in the trailer, they change it to we are up to our neck in terror. That's right. <laughs> well, ass, neck, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> and then McLean says two five left. <laughs> and then we hear Stuart on the, the radio responding to Esperanza by saying affirmative two five right over. Now this sounds like an airplane type of conversation, you know, two five right mm -hmm. over under captain over Roger. 
Clarence, Clarence, <laughs> over, over. <laughs> Roger, Roger. <laughs> and and then well, that's uh, a, every time I hear them say Roger Falcon in this movie, I'm thinking, well, that sounds like a, a name from like a Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger mo movie. You know, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone is Lieutenant Roger Falcon in <laughs> the Falconeer. I don't know. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. And then McLean looks again and goes two five right. <laughs> and you see that he's like completely out of breath. And he goes, I got to quit smoking cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> And then he sees a sign on the side of the, you know, it's a good thing they have, they they have like a, you are here type of sign, you know, on the, on the walls of these corridors. And it says, uh, access grid 11 W four runway number 25 L with a, an arrow to the left. And then John realizes that that's where he's supposed to go. And then once again, imagine how much easier it would be for him to find where he wants to go. If they'd named the things you know, like how they do in the parking lot at like Disneyland, you know, like when you say, Mickey Mouse you know, Lane. Hey kids, remember we parked, yeah, we parked at Dopey, we parked in Dopey, you know, That's you know right. could have named each section after characters from the first Die Hard, you know. <laughs> this is the section, you know, this is Tony, this is Franco, Hans, and then this is Franco and Marco Carl, and James. You know, you know. Yeah, that's right. And, and yeah. where's Theo? <laughs> anyway, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so then Argyle, you know, that's right. And then we hear Esperanza on the radio saying, thank you for telling me Eagle Nest, but if you could show it to me as well, I would be grateful. <laughs> which is, which is done really well. And, and at this point, you know, Stuart makes like a hand motion to, to Thompson and Thompson then flips a switch. And then we, we get a shot of Barnes and Trudeau watching from afar and you see like lights turn off and then other lights on a different runway turn on and you know the two of them are just just watching waiting to see how things go what's going on who knows and then uh you know after thompson does this he looks over to, to stewart and then we hear esperanza say i see the lights they are directly in front of me gracias compadre reducing air and then he gets cut off you know so I just thought it was just really funny the way that they do this. You know, the you know the, the the flick of the of the finger as they're 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 changing the switches of the the lights. You know, it's very simple and stuff like that. And then we you know we're we're back to well as we know from from the movie Airplane. You know, it's all just one power cord because that's one of my favorite shots in the movie Airplane. It's where the runway lights go off, and everyone's like, "What?" They turn to that Johnny. character named Johnny, Johnny, and he's Johnny's got the power cord. Just here. kidding. Sorry. Oh, didn't he say? I think he's just kidding. I don't know. Uh, no, yeah, I think you're right. Just kidding, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> or I, I was thinking more from the. I think it was airplane. This airplane too. You know, where you had the little kid thinking he's playing a video game, and he's really playing with 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 the, with with a, a space shuttle. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, spinning them around and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. So so basically um what 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 I found great about uh this is is that you know he uses the term compadre. You know, which which basically, you know, do you know what compadre means? Do you know a little you know Spanish or not or Portuguese? Oh, I didn't take Spanish in school. I always say the only Spanish I know is what I learned from Sesame Street. 
Uno, Dos. Okay, Tres, yeah, me too. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Any, I, I just know what, what I, what I've heard in movies and stuff like that. I know Agua is water. You know, I mean, I've, it, al- you know. I've always assumed compadre is like, you know, uh, you know, like your, your, like friend or, or you know, something like that, a compatriot. That's what you know. I always thought also until I did this this uh, research right now, and I, I found out that a that it literally means co-father or a co-parent. It's like the relationship between a parent and a godparent of a child. So I just found it really. Well, I guess that makes sense. I padre is father. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. But I never thought about it. I always thought it meant yeah. friend. I didn't realize that they meant, you know, that that it, that it's more of a paternal type of, uh, uh, you know, paternal name. So just, you know, yeah. it's very yeah. strange. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and that that's all I have for this minute. You have anything else for this minute before we get into the the script? Uh, no, let's look at the script. All right. So the, the the script is is very similar, but is very descriptive in what it you know and how it explains everything that's going on. It says uh, Stewart snaps his finger. Someone produces a map, points out to Stewart, and Stewart says, "Roger Falcon, that would be eleven West Three. It's a straight run from the ocean." Then back to Esperanza's plane. As he descends from the eye of the storm, the snow in the cockpit abates a bit. Now we now we can see the airfield and the illuminated runway, which is perpendicular to the plane. And then he asks for them to, to turn on the light, you know, turn lights. And then it says, in the church, Stuart grins at Esperanza's cool and signals Thompson. A switch is thrown. The first runway goes off and a new runway lights up directly in front of the plane. Gracias, amigos. And then it then it jumps to the tunnel mm. with McLean. And then it says, McLean hearing this, 11 West. What the f*** happened to 15? Fumbling with the map. Up to my ass and f*** terrorists again. I got to start reading my goddamn horoscope. <laughs> and then it says, his finger moves along the, the, the map of the runway to the code numbers. McLean's voice, 11, W4, W5, bingo. He turns, camera pushes to the white wall numbers here, 11W3, an arrow indicates access grid. And then Esperanza's voice says, Eagle Nest, do you copy? I'm coming down now. So, I mean, I, I, I like the way that they do it in the script, but I also like the way that in the finished product. So, you know, it's, I, I think that Bruce Willis made it his own, and that's why it, uh, it works well in, you know, in the final cut. Yeah. You know, some of the, I can't imagine John McClane actually even thinking about horoscopes, yeah, exactly. let alone exclaiming out loud that he needs to check his horoscope. That's right. And I mean, I, I like the, the I, I find it very interesting, the difference between Amigos and Compadre, because you think that Amigos does sound yes. better. Well, I think Amigo, again, I had I. Don't know much Spanish, but I think amigo is more like what we were talking about before, like friend, and that where compadre almost sounds like it's a more maybe has more respect right. behind it, you know, like right. Yeah. I mean, amigo is is just basically means friend. That's all it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it to enter speak friend? Isn't that the uh, you know the the Fellowship of the Ring code? Yes. To to get in, you know to. To get into the minds of Mordor. <laughs> yes, but you got to say it in Elvish. <laughs> okay, fine. That I can't do. You know, my Spanish is terrible. My Elvish is completely 
<laughs> non-existent. <laughs> non-existent. So every Wednesday, we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track uh, Aviation Edition, where my guests will give some sort of uh, story that's somehow related to an airplane, an airport, uh, something that's related to aviation. And, I mean, we already heard a few seasons ago from Todd about his 9-11 experience. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully he has another story yeah. to tell us uh, that's somehow related to a plane well, incident. That's thing. Because Todd likes to retell stories. I think I've repeated it. <laughs> I've repeated the stories already. <laughs> I was like, which what one have I not told? I, I'm pretty sure I didn't tell the one about one time when I was going to, I believe it was Oklahoma City. No, it was Tulsa. No, Tulsa, I have not heard the story. Um, all right. And usually there's really not anything too terribly dramatic about this one. When I used to travel a lot, the tip, I, I was going and doing workshops uh, in various places. Um, I, I, I'm sure I've mentioned on, on past seasons of your show that I worked for a long time as a professional puppeteer and, uh, and would, uh, go and do workshops, training other people how to use puppetry in, in educational situations. For the and, children's um, television workshop? So, <laughs> no, no. I mean, it was, you know, like, people that were using uh, puppetry in like churches and schools and community programs <clears throat> and things like that um, as part of their children's programs. And so, um, so usually when I did that, I would have you know, several other people that we would be working together. And usually I would fly out on a Thursday. So we would have time to set up on Friday and the, the, the workshops would start Friday night and, um, and go from there. But on this particular one, other people, people went ahead of me and I was going out on Friday with another guy. So basically we were going to get there and, and then go to the place and, you know, things were going to be pretty much set up and, and, you know, we just had to wait for things to start at, at seven o'clock. Well, we just got, kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed with our flights. Um, like the flight, they would push back the time. And then I remember one time they, they put us on the plane and we sat there and sat there and then it was like, okay, we're not going to be able to take this plane after all. So we all got, all got off the plane and we started trying to figure out what are we going to do? Um, I remember this because I was actually very smart on this one because the guy who I was with, he was like, all right, well, let's go get in line because they need to rebook us. I was like, no, we're not going to get in line. We're going to call. This is before so everybody had a cell phone, but we had a cell phone. We're like, we're going to call the United 800 line and have them rebook us mm. rather than stand in line. He's like, oh, that's smart. So we did that. They rebooked us, but the flight they booked us on was already boarding. They're like, you're going to have to go over to get to the gate. All right. Okay, fine. We'll get to the gate. Well, we're on one end of Concourse B, which is the longest one at Denver International Airport. We had to go all the way to the opposite side of concourse B and they're boarding right now. So we had to, to go get on it and we are running across there. And remember a few episodes ago, we talked about how the, the air is thin yes. in Denver <laughs> or at high altitude. Okay. So this was several years after I had moved to Denver, but in this moment I was like, Oh my gosh, I, now I am totally feeling the fact that my lungs were born at sea level because I was, you know, wheezing and gasping and stuff because just you're trying to run and, and, you know, I just, you know, I grew up at sea level. So my, my <laughs> lungs were not used to it. Anyway, we get to that other plane, we make it on just before they're about to close the doors and stuff. 
And but this this flight is going to put us into Tulsa, like literally only about 15 minutes before this event is supposed to start. And the way the event starts was with a performance that I'm supposed to be performing <laughs> in. And so we the flight goes, we land, we get there, we go to the baggage claim to get our stuff. And like I said, I'm with another guy. And one of the guys who's who's with the venue is there. And he's like, all right, Dean. Dean was the guy I was flying with. He's like, you stay here. You get the bags. I got to take him to the place. <laughs> and so hopped in the car, went there, got out, got out of the car, ran in. I mean, literally just like waved to the people that had already been there that I knew that already set up. I'm like, I'm here. I walked right past them into the room where the performance was, went backstage, put on the outfit because this was a, uh, a program where I was actually doing like a costume. It was a, a, a puppet, but it was a costume, like like what you might wear it like if you're one of the characters at Disneyland or something like that. But it had a puppet mouth that I controlled with a remote control wow, cool. in my hand and things like that. So I put this whole thing on. So I ran in there, walked past the whole audience, went backstage, put this thing on, and like three minutes it's later, thing, it's I was good thing you didn't, you didn't check that <laughs> into crazy. your luggage. <laughs> no, that went with the books that went the day before. So yeah, so I was lucky in that way. So yeah, not as dramatic as my nine eleven. Yeah, okay, but sure, but it's but... still still a, an important story, fun story. Um, you know, we can we can hear the the tense, you know, and suspense of it all. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for that story, Todd. All right, so uh, Todd, you want to once again tell people how they can get in touch with uh, Todd Liebenau? So, of course, the podcast is called The Forgotten Filmcast. You can find that on all the places where you get your podcasts. The blog is called Forgotten Films. It's at ForgottenFilmcast.wordpress.com. And follow me on Twitter at Forgotten Films. It's Films with a Z. All right, and finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on my website, MovieRobMinute.com. Or you can find me on Facebook. So until tomorrow, yippee Yippee-ki-yay. If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little villages here and